And let's stand today for the reading of the Holy Gospel as we fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus. Our reading today, our Gospel reading is uh, John chapter 3, reading 1 to verse 15. Uh, Verse 1 to 15. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and he said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know, And we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together today as we look to the word of God together. Father, we thank you for your word. It's precious to us. And we confess today our need of your Holy Spirit, that you would grant to us true understanding and hearts ready, Lord, to look to Jesus, we pray. In his name, amen. Well, I want to look today at three features of our text from John 3, three features that pertain to this new life in God, to this born-again experience that Jesus here talks about to Nicodemus. I'm trying to be um, as efficient as I can be today in view of a slightly longer service. The first thing that Jesus says to Nicodemus about this new life, uh, this new birth, the first thing he has to say to him is that the flesh profits nothing. What Jesus says here to Nicodemus is the same thing that he says in John 6, 63. There he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. One of my favorite authors, and one that you will hear me um, quote from time to time, is Thomas Goodwin. Goodwin writes this, he says, Can this world, this heavy, massy lump, this earth fastened in its own center, can it move itself? 
to become a star? (laughs) What if all the angels, all of God's angels and all humanity got underneath the earth, he says, what if they started a push? What if they took every engine that they knew of and put it under that earth and tried to heave it and to move it from its hinges? (laughs) Could they do it? No more, Goodwin says, can the natural heart move itself. Then the earth can become a star. What Jesus does here in John uh, John 3 is to create a clear dichotomy between flesh and spirit. There's no amount of worldly learning, he says. No amount of striving morally. From the world's perspective, you can be the wisest person around. You can possess admirable wisdom. You can be a Plato. You can be a Socrates. Doesn't save you, he says. It's natural. From the world's perspective, you can uh, possess all this virtue and morality. The world can look at you and say, what a good man. What a good woman. Jesus says, it doesn't save you. Why? Because the flesh, which is the state of nature that we are born with, because of sin, this flesh, this natural state, is utterly opposed to God in every way imaginable. By spirit here, Jesus means being alive to God being open to God, being soft and tender before God, being capable of hearing God, seeing God, delighting in God. And he creates this this watertight dichotomy. You have these two groups. You have those who are alive to God, and you have those who are dead to God. Those who are spiritual and those who are fleshly. And every last person on this planet belongs to one of those two groups. It's either the flesh or it's the spirit. See, what Jesus is saying here is that everything that makes us human, everything that makes us human, our wills, our affections, our intellects, our consciences, our creativity, None of this is enough, not nearly enough, not in any way possible enough to bring us into the kingdom of God. We cannot get there by nature. Natural humanity cannot enter the kingdom of God, no matter how moral, how wise, how evolved, how mature. Nature just can't do it. And this is terribly offensive to the world. This is terribly, terribly offensive to the world because the world takes great pride in the natural. (laughs) We see this everywhere, right? I mean, the, the more natural, the better. Natural means free from additives. Right, natural honey, natural beer, natural cheese, natural personality. And the closer you get to the natural state of something, the better it is, the world says. But now Jesus makes a startling, startling judgment on human nature. And he says, natural human nature is woefully deficient with respect to entering the kingdom of God. It cannot Get there. It has nothing 
to add. See, Jesus looks deep, deep, deeper, deeper than any of us into the depth of natural human nature, and he tells us what he sees in nature. I'll tell you what proceeds out of the human heart, he says. It produces every act of lawlessness. The natural heart hates my father. The natural heart hates my father's rules. The natural heart hates my father's people, he says. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And because it doesn't want the kingdom of God, it doesn't want the rule and the reign of God, it cannot enter the kingdom of God. What needs to happen, Jesus says, in in order to enter God's eternal kingdom, the only place where the human can be truly human? We're all tin soldiers, as Lewis says at this point. We're growing up into our humanity. The only place where we can become truly human, what needs to to happen is that the, the natural needs to be made spiritual. This is my second point. We need to be born again, Jesus says. What needs to happen is that we need radically new natures. The natural needs to become supernatural. In fact, Jesus says that we need to be born of water and we need to be born of the Spirit. Now note the conjunction here. It's water and the Spirit. John now is referring to John 1, his, uh, what he's written out in John 1 with that language of baptism. There's the, ba- the baptism of the Spirit, and there's the baptism of water in John 1. And John is saying that we, we do need the waters of baptism. They're not inconsequential. Baptism is God's perfect sign to display the promise of God to wash us from our sin. It's a sign of God. And what he does, it's not a sign of me. It's not a sign of my personal decision, what I decided to do. It's a sign of grace. It's a sign of God's promise to cleanse me, the washing of regeneration, as Paul says in Titus 3. And we need, Jesus says, to commit ourselves as disciples to the waters of baptism. But note again the conjunction. Jesus uses a clear conjunction here. He says, and... We need to be baptized, but we also need to be born of the Spirit of God. We need the Holy Spirit to make us new. That is, it's not enough to be baptized. And clearly, it's not enough to go through the forms of the church. It's not enough to to read your Bible. It's not enough to pray. It's not enough to witness and go on to the mission fields. It's not enough, my brothers and sisters, than to, to, to have your body burned. It's not enough. It's not enough to say the creed. It's not enough even to confess the faith. You must be born again, Jesus says. You need to be recreated by the Holy Spirit. He makes us a brand new creation. And there are many people who go through the forms, but they've never been born again by the Spirit of God. They've never come to the place where they understand and where they submit to the teachings of Jesus that the natural selves are incapable of loving God. 
and entering into God's kingdom. They've simply never despaired of themselves and they've not been convinced of the need of a supernatural self. Men and women, Jesus said, need to be born again. What does that look like, we ask? Well, Jesus tells us something of what it looks like in in, in verse 8. Consider the wind, he says. You hear it, you're aware of it, but you have no idea where it came from, and you have no idea where that wind is going, Jesus says. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit of God. Now, clearly, Jesus doesn't mean that being born again means believers who drift around the world from whim to whim, never knowing what they're doing next. What will I do next, they say. I don't even know what I'll do next. That's not what Jesus means here. That's not what he's saying. He does, however, take this born-again experience and he removes it again from the realm of human explanation. He removes it from the realm of human production. By the wind analogy, Jesus means that the born-again experience, this transition from flesh to supernatural life in God is something that is completely beyond us. It's really essentially mysterious, Jesus says. We can't take this thing and put it under a microscope and examine it even as we can't take God and put him under a microscope and figure him out because the new birth, Jesus says, is God's work. Because the new birth is the Spirit's work, it defies our attempts to own it. It defies our attempts to to copyright it. It defies our our attempts to mass produce it. We can be aware of the new birth. We can experience the new birth even as we are aware of the wind, but we cannot control it. This is a God thing, Jesus says. It's God's work, and we need to look to God to do it in ourselves, in our children, and in our loved ones. And because, dear church, it is God's work, it continues as God's work. We don't begin in the Spirit and then perfect ourselves in the flesh. God doesn't say, hey, here's the material. Here's the tools. I'm going to start this. Now you go on and complete it and do the rest. No, rather, he says, he who began a good work in you, He will be faithful to complete it. It begins as a work of the Holy Spirit. It continues as a work of the Holy Spirit. It finishes as a work of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul says, Christ in you is the hope of glory. The only hope that you have of glory, of getting there to that glorious place that is heaven, the only hope is Christ who is at work in you. And if ever we're tempted to think that we need to try a little bit harder to make it to heaven, we need to remember our new birth, that it is God's work. And what about God begins? God always finishes. No half-built buildings. Used to walk down by the Grand and see this half-built tower sitting there for years, just abandoned. No abandoned buildings in God's kingdom. What he begins... He works on, he completes. Thirdly, today, if the new birth is God's work, how do I receive it? 
Jesus now describes to Nicodemus how this Christ in you reality, this supernatural wind of the Holy Spirit, how it comes about. And clearly what Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about all across chapter 3 is the hope of glory. Glory being heaven, being the city of God, the place that God wants us to be, the place where we can see God and hear God and know God and walk with God in perfect happiness. And in chapter 3, Jesus is consistently focusing Nicodemus' heart on this very kingdom. He says repeatedly to Nicodemus here, Nicodemus, what's important is the kingdom. Nicodemus, what's important is heavenly things. Nicodemus, what's important is eternal life. The world treasures now, Nicodemus, Turn on the TV, Nicodemus, and you'll see that the world treasures now. You should treasure what's coming. The world treasures the present life, Nicodemus. You should treasure the next life. And there's only one way to do that, Nicodemus. There's only one way to get there. And you see, Jesus now can speak uh, as an authority on the subject because in, in verse 13, as we can see, he is the only one authorized to speak of this heavenly goal, this heavenly place. He is uniquely the heavenly man. He says, I've been there, Nicodemus. (laughs) I've come from there, Nicodemus, and I alone can tell you how to get there, Nicodemus. And this is how. Jesus turns Nicodemus back to Numbers 21. When the people of Israel had sinned against the Lord... They had grown tired of Moses, and they had grown tired of God, and they started to complain. They said, why, Moses, have you brought us into Egypt to die in the wilderness? And their accusations against Moses and their accusations against God are counted as rebellion and as unbelief, and the Lord is greatly angered, we read. And so God sends them a host of poisonous serpents, and a great host of Israelites, we read, are are, um, they die as they are bitten. And the remainder who don't die, but either are bitten and about to die or afraid of being bitten, they begin to beseech Moses. Moses, would you please pray to the Lord on our behalf to save us from this certain death? And the Lord says to Moses, Moses, what I want you to do is make a fiery serpent. And I want you to put that serpent up on a pole and everyone who looks, just looks to that serpent, will live. You can see Nicodemus' eyes beginning to open as Jesus says to him, Nicodemus, this was written about me. This is fulfilled in me. I am that serpent, Nicodemus, and that pole is my cross. And as the serpent on the pole was the image of the enemy that afflicted the Israelites, so I will become the thing, Nicodemus, that afflicts my people. I who am holy, who have reveled in my Father's holiness for all eternity, I will become their sin. I and my Father have so loved this people and have so desired their salvation that I will pay Nicodemus that terrible price. And on me, my Father's just wrath will be satisfied. And if anyone just looks to me, Nicodemus, and if they just believe, They will be healed. 
The poison of sin will no longer be able to keep them from my Father's house. This, my brothers and sisters, today is the law of faith. For Jesus, salvation took everything. For Jesus, salvation took everything. He paid a price that we will never fully fathom for us. Salvation only takes a look. It only takes a glance to Christ. If anyone believes in the Son of God dying on a cross, becoming our sin, paying the debt for our sin, then that person will have eternal life. The gospel is very simple, is it not? The gospel says, look to Jesus and live. Just look to Jesus and you will live. So brothers and sisters, as we gather around the table today, no matter what you've done this week, no matter where you've been, no matter where your heart and mind have run through whatever gutter, the Lord says to you today, just look to me and you will live life to its fullest. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.